Welcome to the Resurrection People podcast with Preston Sharp, pastor of Sacrament Church in Nashville, Tennessee, and curator of The Art of Preaching. Each week, we look at three readings from the Bible, drawn from the Revised Common Lectionary. Find more at theartofpreaching.substack.com. Hello, and welcome to the Resurrection People podcast. Today, our reading is from Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. And our reading opens with what appears to be kind of the new normal, an ordinary workday for Moses at his new home in Midian. He works for his father-in-law, whose name is Jethro. And Moses is a really interesting character because he has kind of three identities. He was born a Hebrew, part of God's chosen people who were enslaved in Egypt. But then he was adopted and raised by the Egyptians, the enslavers where he saw up close the Hebrew people persecuted and oppressed. But now he's escaped to Midian. He's married, he's settled down, and he's taken the identity of a Midianite shepherd. So he's got all three of these identities together in one person. And we can imagine the unrest that Moses has been feeling as he tends the sheep alone in the desert. We wonder if he's plagued with questions like, who am I really? What was I supposed to do? Am I in the right place? We're reminded why Moses ran away from Egypt in the first place. In his anger against seeing a fellow Israelite being abused, Moses killed an Egyptian guard. We see that in in, uh, chapter 2, verse 12. It was the shame and the fear from that event that led him to the desert. Such a response to shame and fear are illustrative of the human condition. This is what we do when we feel ashamed. We run away, we hide, we escape. So as Moses wanders tending the sheep, God shows up. The Bible paints this picture of a God who is ever near, always drawing close. But notice this, God's presence here is not really comforting to Moses. (laughs) I think we really want God often to be only comforting, (laughs) to make things better. There's a reason why Karl Marx called religion the opiate of the masses, because we often treat it as an opiate, thinking that the purpose of religion is to just be a soothing balm on everything. But our God is disorienting. Our God is always healing, but that's not always comfortable. So what's the answer to Moses's disorientation? More disorientation. (laughs) A bush that will not burn up and a message from God. The bush is on fire, but it's not being consumed. It's not burning up. Now, the Sinai Desert is a pretty unique place in its topography and climate. It's not quite as barren as the Sahara Desert, but not as diverse as like a California wilderness. A shepherd in this situation has to learn the locations of where the grassy places are. So Moses has to make this significant journey into the wilderness to find for his sheep one of those places. And he wouldn't be back until at least the next day, if not later. So he's wandering. Now, we don't know yet that in the story, wandering in the wilderness will characterize Moses' life. The bush that is burning is something like a spiky acacia bush. We don't really know. But it's this ordinary plant, this ordinary place that becomes an intersection of heaven and earth. 
The one who appears to Moses at first is initially identified as a heavenly messenger or a divine aid, kind of God's representative. But it's interesting because as the divine aid speaks, it's clear that this is actually God speaking. So maybe there's just like a little distance that needs to be created for Moses to to be able to get into this thing. That if the Lord spoke to Moses directly, it would be too much. So there's this like layer that's created here. But regardless, this is, these are the words of God clearly to Moses. Moses is told to keep a distance, which kind of sounds like a mixed message message here. God is saying, come near, but be careful about coming near. Why? Because this is holy ground. The word holy just means like set apart or different. This ground that he's standing on is different from other ground that you walk on. This is sacred space. This is a heaven meets earth moment. So the command to Moses is something like you are to draw close and also to understand that this thing to which you are drawing close is beyond your experience. It will change you. This is the kind of way that we are to approach the sacrament of Eucharist each week and all the sacraments. You are welcomed. You are loved. You are invited. And also be aware, this meal will change you. This is different. Our God is the one who embraces and who loves us fully. And that love is so powerful that it shapes whoever comes close. God's presence will mean that the neat categories of our life will need to be disrupted, disoriented, because God has something better for us. God first speaks of the God of your father, identifies himself as the God of your father. God has been involved with Moses' family. Then God is more specific by saying the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is a God with a people. And because they are his people, God has taken note of their suffering. Their cry has reached to God and God has responded. This God has a people and has made promises to his people that the promised land, that Canaan, would be theirs. Canaan was a land with lots of uh, sheep and goats. That's why it was said to flow with milk. The Sinai wilderness is different than that. That's where Moses is currently wandering. But Canaan was also not just a place with goats and sheep, but also a place with lots of date palms. (laughs) So it flows with honey. So that's this idea of milk and honey. And we always need to remember as we read the Bible that God's desire is not just for his people, He's concerned with the whole world. The people of God's community are a people of blessing, which is to extend to the earth. And in order to do that, for that to happen, they will need to be delivered from Egypt. God will be faithful to the promise. And we see here the process of all the ducks getting in a row. The promise is being fulfilled. Now, Moses' first reaction to God's calling is to say, what? Me? little bit of a paraphrase there. God makes it clear that Moses is not being called based on his experience in the palace, his initiative, his leadership potential. No, Moses' role is subordinate. He's not the main character. Yahweh himself is the main character of the story. When he killed the Egyptian guard in the previous chapter, Moses was trying to take the deliverance into his own hands. 
It was Moses seeking revenge, seeking justice through violence. God says, I'm going to rescue my people. And Moses, it's not up to you. Your job is to trust me. In fact, God makes it clear it is not Moses who will be doing the saving. Yahweh is affirming the need for liberation from oppression. He has to trust God. Moses has to trust that God loves his people more than even he loves his people. And God says, I will be with you. That doesn't mean Moses will always feel God's presence. It is a reminder that God is working whether he feels it or not. So Moses has questions. (laughs) What is he to tell the people about this God? Who is this? God says, I am who I am, which of course clears it up, right? He says further, thus you shall say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. Now today, when we describe ourselves, we usually fill in the blank. So we'll say, I am, but I am a husband. I am a father. I am a pastor. Or we just say our name. I am Preston. What we're doing when we say this is we're saying, you can identify me as this and limit me by this. But God is refusing to fill in the blank because he is not dependent on anything. He is before everything. Therefore, there is no box that we can create that can fit him. At the very same time, it is a way of saying, I am consistent. He is the same God who called Abraham. He is the same God who is present now with Moses, and he will be that God in the future. Now, God has already used that verb in telling Moses, I will be with you. So I am or I will be. What kind of God is he? He's the God who will be there, who will be with them. He will be whatever is necessary to be in different contexts to achieve that purpose that he promised to the ancestors, that he's promised to this family. Now, this name Yahweh was already known earlier. We see it in Genesis chapter 4. It was used by the patriarchs, but it hadn't been used by any of the children of Jacob so as Moses is, is here and as the author of the book has constructed this book, he's intended that we realize that all the generations of Jacob and all the generations leading up to himself had perhaps lost the knowledge of the true God. This may indicate that they had become distant from God and less faithful in their practice of prayer. Pay attention to names in the Bible. For example, in the book of Esther, the, book of, uh, the name of God is not mentioned anywhere in the entire book. The author is not saying God is not active in the book or not central to the book. No, in fact, it's quite the opposite. But this was a stylistic device to show the reader that the people of Esther's day had become largely paganized. God's people had become largely paganized. So the author carefully avoided any name of Yahweh until now um, for presumably a similar reason in this particular story. So one of, the we, one of the things that we notice is the God who draws near, the God who hears the cry of his people, the God who cannot be contained, and the God who is always faithful. Thanks for listening to the Resurrection People podcast. Subscribe, rate, and review to help us get the word out. You can hear full sermons at sacramentchurch.com and find out more at theartofpreaching.substack.com.